And today we're looking at a, a passage of Scripture. I've never preached before. I've referenced it. I've spoken of it, but I've never preached it before. If you find your way to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, most likely many of you have heard this before. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, if you want to start an awkward conversation with somebody, I'll tell you what, there are a few topics that you can kick that off with, right? Usually it's with politics. You can start that off with politics. Religion often does the trick as well, particularly when someone suggests that there is a singular way to God through Jesus Christ and that all other ways, or excuse me, and that all those who do not have faith in Jesus will spend eternity in hell. Most of the time that conversation is over with. That's, a, that's uh, you know, a lot of people want to think they're good work. Something's going to get them to heaven other than Jesus. But no, Jesus is the train that gets you through the, through the gate and the pathway to the Father. And so in, as we look at this, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, I want you to know that in all my years of preaching and teaching, and I've been doing this for a long time, uh, I can't recall preaching a sermon singularly focused on hell. Now, I preached on a lot of different topics. I preached from a lot of different places in the Bible. Uh, but this is one that I have just not really, I don't know, I've just not ever preached it. So today, uh, I hope that you find that. We're going to be looking at uh, this passage of Scripture. And uh, this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus and of when they died and their communication and Abraham and God's communication back and forth with him there. You've probably even heard uh, some or, or thought about the reference back to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. I'm not going to read all that. Uh, but you've probably been familiar with that text where it says, There is coming a great judgment. Well, God will separate the sheep from the goats. Some will go into everlasting life and others will go into everlasting torture. Then he tells the story of those who went out and did uh, because they knew Christ. They went out and told people. Now I want you to understand this. I'm not aiming toward the lost specifically this morning. I'm aiming more toward those of you who have proclaimed your faith in Christ already because we have to see our responsibility to share the gospel with those uh, to hear, to the, share the gospel with those here and now so they may have a relationship with Jesus Christ for eternity. So as, as I've, I've given you time to get there, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, you read along in your copy of God's Word, and I'll read along in mine. As I said in Sunday school, I love to hear pages turning. I love to hear and see people with their Bibles open as we're reading from God's Holy Word. So read along with me. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. That's a big word. Every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus was in his bosom. There he, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me 
and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, and now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, but he said to this, this man, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we can recount a few things. We see here, the Bible records this account of the rich man and the poor man and their conversation across the great gulf. And from the Old Testament, we know there was Abraham's bosom and there was, uh, there was, there was Abraham's bosom and there was Hades. And, and once Christ rose from the grave, everyone then that was in Abraham's bosom goes on up into heaven, went on into heaven. And so we're, we're looking at this, and Jesus has given them this story so that those of the Jewish understanding may know there's Abraham's bosom, and there's the great gulf, and there's Hades. And so he's talking about this conversation. The poor man goes to heaven. His name is Lazarus. And this is, uh, this is not the Lazarus that we usually think of that was resurrected from the grave. This is a different Lazarus. But nonetheless, this is who he's talking about, a gentleman named Lazarus. And he goes on and he's embraced by Abraham there in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man dies and he suffers in hell. And he looks across the great divide uh, in heaven and asks for mercy. He asks for water. He asks for someone to go warn his family to avoid this place of torment. Now, some of you may ask, how does a good God send good people to hell? How does a good God send good people to hell? Now, comparatively with Christ, it's spiritually in their lives. There's none good, none but God. We know that. Now, we're going to talk about a little bit. We know there are some people that do good things. They're thoughtful. They're charitable. They, they give. They're, they've got uh, kindness of heart. They, they're generous. They're very hospitable. We know there are, quote, unquote, good people by the standard of the world. But in, in regards to comparatively in their spirit and unto Christ, there's none good, no, none good but God. But people ask that question, how does a good God send good people to hell? Well, I want to answer you this in two ways. God does not send anyone to hell. God does not send anyone to hell. And secondly, you and I didn't need any help in getting to hell. We didn't need any help getting there. We need help getting out of there. You know, we go on our own volition as we reject Christ. But for some of you and myself... When we were on our way to hell, there was a strange and miraculous thing that happened. A strange and miraculous thing has happened. And for many of us, we may have forgotten all about what happened on that path to hell. 
Because if, if we would think back to where we once were, I think we would see this one. We would see our one and we would say, Oh, Lord Jesus, in the name of heaven, save them. Save them by your grace. I want to see this individual that's on this sheet of paper come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because then you would remember, Lord Jesus, I know I was on my way to hell, but you intersected in my life. You disturbed me in a good way. There was a disturbance in the path, in, in, your, in the forest, I've heard that say. There's a disturbance there, and you've gone from this way to the other way. Why is that? Because when you come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, something's going to change. Something's going to change. Either your heart's going to get super hard and stony, or you're going to fall to your knees and realize, I need Christ. Just as Saul did on the road to Damascus, when he encountered Christ, he fell to his knees and he says, Oh Lord, oh Lord. And Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the goads? And he was changed. All during that conversation, he said, Oh Lord. And when you encounter Christ, when you truly encounter Christ, it's not, Oh Savior. It's not, oh, Rabbi, as Judas Iscariot says. It's not any of that. It's, oh, Lord, because you've seen him in his glory and you saw you in your sorrow and sin and brokenness. But the Lord doesn't leave you there. He didn't leave Saul there blinded, did he? No, he told him a path to take. He wanted him to obey. And he told him where to go. Now, my sermon ain't on Saul today or Paul, but let me keep a moving, okay? You know, something happened there on our way to hell. And I want you to understand this, John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, that, that the, but to save the world through him. But that the world through him might be saved. That's the way it says in the original language. I typed it out different, so it's throwing me off. But anyway, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Our sin condemns us. Our sin condemns us. I didn't need any help getting to hell. I had all of it under control. I had getting to hell. I mean, that was the easiest thing probably I could have ever done. When I was born, it was just a straight path with no changes. But if Jesus intersected as Jesus, and he did intersect in my life, things changed. Things became difficult then because I had to fight against the inner man, against the sinful flesh. I had to fight against the things that says, Blake, you do what you want to do. You do you, as I've heard so many in this culture say. I just, you know, no, I don't need to do me. I need to do Jesus. And he changed me and he saved me. So I'm preaching that the saved will get burdened over the one who some of you have decided to show hospitality to this past week. I, I challenged you last week, one of the opening things was to uh, challenge you to invite someone to lunch. Invite someone to lunch. Invite them over to your house, your neighbor. Talk to them. And then somebody in your family, share the testimony about how Christ changed your life. I challenge you to that. And some of you may have taken up that challenge. I hope you did. But I, I want to... Also emphasize, this is what Richard Baxter, he's a, he's a Puritan pastor. And he lived his life from the perspective of both heaven and hell. 
And this is what he said in uh, one of his letters. It's called How to Spend the Day with God. He said, let God have your awake first awakening moments. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest enjoyed, excuse me, and thankfully for the rest enjoyed the night before. And cast yourself upon him for the day which follows. Familiarize yourself so consistently that your conscience may check you when common thoughts shall first intrude. Think of the mercy of a night's rest and of how many have spent that night in hell. How many in prison, how many in cold, hard lodging, how many suffering from agonizing pains and sickness, weary of their beds and their lives. Think of how many souls were that night called from their bodies terrifyingly to appear before God and think how quickly days and nights are rolling on. How speedily your last night and day will come. Observe that which is lacking in the preparedness of your soul for such a time and seek it without delay. Listen, we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour that God's going to call us home. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, Scripture tells us. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. It's coming for each and every one of us. We need to be prepared. And if we're not preparing ourselves for heaven, no preparation is preparation for hell. No preparation for heaven is an absolute preparation for hell. We need to be preparing ourselves for an eternity with the Lord. How do you do that? You confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You believe in your heart that God raises some of the dead. And you're saved. You walk on that path and you say, God, sanctify me. Change me from the man I was or the woman I was. Change me, God. May my heart ever hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your name's sake. May I be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what should happen in our lives. That's how we prepare for heaven. That's how we prepare for that life. We look there in these verses and we see here that Lazarus, man, he had the hardest time in life. He was sitting there at that rich man's house and he says, uh, desire, he says he was full of sores. He laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Can you imagine this man in the pity and agony that he was in sitting out here? Sitting out here and, and being communicated with and by, by very few people. No relationship. Nobody wanted to get near him. If he had sores, he most likely had leprosy. We don't know that for sure, but he had sores. And the dogs would come lick. It's the only fellowship or community he had was with dogs. And so he sits here and he hopes and, and wishes for the crumbs off the rich man's table. And we see this, we see Lazarus there. And in verse 22 it says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments of Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in his flame. The torment for the poor man was on earth, but the, tor poor, the torment for the rich man was in hell. The torment for the rich man was in hell. Now, he wasn't tormented because he was rich. He was tormented because he was poor of soul. But the poor man was elevated in heaven because he was rich in soul. Because he was rich in Christ. 
I don't want you to ever get this idea or this thought in your mind that because this man's poor, only because he's poor, he goes to heaven, or only because this man was rich, he went to hell. The reason why they went to the places they were is because they made a decision about who Jesus is. That's the reason why they went where they were. It had nothing to do with their poverty nor their, uh, their pleasure or their rich or their wealth on this side of heaven. It had everything to do with their heart. Everything to do with their heart. Now I want you to understand as we think about this rich man in hell, there's six things I want us to know about hell. Hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. Everyone who has ever lived, I want you to understand this, is still living. Everyone who has ever lived is still living. And they're living in one of two places, and that's it. Heaven or hell. They are. And, and everyone, everyone in hell wants a way out. And no one wants a way out of heaven. People always say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look down and do this. Or I'm going to do that. Or I'm, I'm going to be doing this. Or I'm be, you don't know what you're going to be doing, to be honest with you. The biggest thing that you know you're going to be doing is glorifying the name of Jesus. You're going to be around the throne thanking the one who saved you from hell. Is what you're going to be doing. You ain't going to be worrying about what you did or didn't do on earth unless you're in hell. And then you're going to be thinking about because your memories are going to be there. I'm not getting ahead of myself. That's one of my points in a minute. But your memories are always going to be with you. But your memories are not going to be, you're not going to be thinking about all those sad things. Because the Bible says all your tears are going to be washed away. All the, all the sadness is going to be washed away. All those things. Because you know why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we need. And we're finally going to see him in all his glory. And it's not going to be like a, a, a mirror dimly lit. You're going to see him as he is, as king of kings and lord of lords, without fear, without any, any kind of, of hesitancy because of sin. You're going to get to see him and be in his presence. Why are you going to be able to then be in the presence of God? Because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. But if you've not been washed by the blood of Jesus, you're going to be separated for eternity and a place called hell twice in the gospel of matthew the lord jesus references being thrown into hell fire so hell is a place of pain also hell is eternal and hell is a place of pain matthew 8 12 says this there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth listen when when there's something about hell it is, it is a place of pain. When, when people have done heinous actions, when people have done evil things, what, what do people think a lot of times? They say, we say, man, they need, they, need to go, they need to be in hell. Why is that? Because we can't think of any worse place for that individual to be. Right? There's, there's nothing. You know, when someone does something evil, we wouldn't say, oh, just go to heaven. Go to Chick-fil-A. You know, we wouldn't tell things like that, would we? When they're evil, we'd say, man, those people have, there's a special place in hell for those individuals. For that person who opened fire when, when they were in Las Vegas in that country concert, and that dude just stuck, stuck a gun out the window of that big hotel and started shooting people. When people go into these nightclubs, regardless of what, I, I don't agree with nightclubs, but those folks who go in there and just start shooting folks for whatever reason, that's evil people, man. And we think, man, there's a special place in hell for those folks. 
I mean, you can't sit here and say that you ain't thought that because I know I sure have. Those folks are evil. You know Hitler's down there. He's probably got his own little place of isolation. He probably thought he was something special when he got to stand up in front of everybody and massacre and cause the Holocaust and because he was getting all this pride and puffed up. But I guarantee you he's sitting in hell right now in isolation and the only thing he's got is a memory of what he did that cost him a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm getting ahead of myself again. Hell is a place of fear. Hell is a place of fear. When Christ is present within you, there is no fear. But absent from the presence of God is a place of fear. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, because fear, invo- because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And we know that Jesus, although he has dominion over hell, he is not in hell. The Holy Spirit is not in hell to remove all the pain and torture and flame that comes to those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior. There is, hell is a place of fear because Jesus is not there. Hell is a place of sadness. Hell is a place of sadness. There's a book, it's called Dante's Divine Comedy. And it's a description of the fictional journey of the author through hell and ultimately heaven. In the Inferno section, he describes the sign above the portal of hell. It says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter in. How sad! Abandon hope, all ye who enter in. I know this is a fictional book, this Dante's Divine Comedy, but it is truth. Abandon hope, all ye who enter in. Hell is a place of sadness because without Christ or His presence, there is no hope. Some denominations, some people believe in baptismal proxy. They believe in baptismal proxy where they're baptizing earthly people for people who've died and gone on to hell hoping that they're going to get out of hell one day. That don't work. That don't work. It's what you do before the grave with Jesus that decides where you are for eternity. Not afterwards. No work of mine will ever get any family member of mine out of hell that's already there. Or friend or anybody else. The only work that gets people out of hell is Jesus' work of dying on the cross in our place for our sins because he lived a sinless life. He was buried. He rose again. That work And if you believe on Jesus and you confess Him as Lord, it's the only way that you're escaping the wrath that is to come through an eternity stuck in hell. It's the only way. It's the only way. Hell is absolutely a place of sadness. And it not only makes, not only is that individual sad, but I want you to understand this, it makes family members who are believers here sad as well. Hell is a place of isolation. Hell is a place of isolation. There is no fellowship in hell. There's no fellowship in hell. Many people have said, well, my mama never professed Christ as Lord, so I'll spend time with her. I want to be where my dad, brother, friend, etc., whoever they are, I want to be with them for eternity. There is no teaching anywhere in the Bible that there is fellowship in hell. It's an eternal place of pain, fear, sadness, isolation, and ultimately separation. In hell, you won't be able to awaken 
to a new day. It'll be constant separation and isolation. You won't be able to awaken to friends or family or joy. There's none of that in hell. There's none of it. It's a place of isolation. You know, I, I think about that and so many people, they, and I, I know a person in particular, I, I, in, in particular, that has said, my mama died and she never professed faith. I want to go where my mama's at. Your mama don't want you going there. I guarantee you that. Your daddy don't want you going there if he went to hell. If he would have known what he knows now or she knows what she knows now or whomever it may be, they'd be, they'd be coming back. Just like this guy. Just like the rich man. Go back. Warn my five brothers. And you know they probably have wives and kids. Go back and tell them, please, send the poor man. They knew him. He sat at my gate. He sat at my gate. They saw him there. They probably shrugged him off. Probably like a Levite or, or a priest that walked on the other side of the Samaritan. I mean, of the, of, the, of the man who was beat down until the Samaritan came by. They probably walked right around him. Tell them. Send him. It's a place of isolation. It's a place of separation. You are eternally separated from God and anyone else who has shown a genuine Christ-like concern for your soul. Hell was not created to separate you from Christ, but rather Satan and his demons from God. That's what hell was created for. It wasn't created for you and I. But those who never profess Christ as Lord will reside somewhere for eternity, and it cannot and will not be in heaven. And there are only two locations, heaven or hell. There's only two locations. So why in the world would anybody choose hell? Why in the world? I don't know. Maybe it's because we didn't tell them. Maybe it's because we didn't think it was that important. Maybe we thought it was too inconvenient. Maybe we thought it was too uncomfortable. Uh, hell sounds pretty uncomfortable with hellfire. I think I'll take a little bit of verbal uh, rejection. I think we need to tell somebody. We need to tell somebody. And we see this rich man. He's in hell. He's begging and pleading. Begging and pleading that Abraham send that, rich, that poor man back to tell him. He cried out, verse 24, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. I mean, he's just telling him, to just dip, just dip that, just dip it. I mean, and, and this gulf is so great, his finger probably would not even have been wet by the time he got there, but it would be cooler than what he was experiencing. Just dip that finger in water and come just place it on my tongue. Man, my mouth's been dry this morning. Started in Sunday school. I don't know who cut the heat on, but good grief. Felt like I was walking on the road to hell. Like I was getting pretty close to the gate. But I'm telling you right now, he's telling them, he's telling them just, just dip that finger. Y'all agree that it was in my Sunday school class. Anyway, dipping that finger in there and just touch it to my tongue. 
Please send him. Have mercy on me. But verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Not only did you have your flavor of water, you could put any packet of water in there. You got any, probably in these days is wine. You could, you could flavor any, you got any kind of wine you want. You got any kind of drink you want. You could eat any kind of food you want. But you know what? In hell, you don't get what you want. You get what you deserve. And every one of us, if we really thought about it, if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. But thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. That's right. Amen. <laughs> That's that amen corner. But I want to tell you this also. There, there are, I want to tell you every good thing that's in hell. I want to tell you every good thing that's in hell. There's good people in hell. You may say, wait a minute now, Pastor. There ain't no good people in hell. Oh, yeah, there's lots of good people in hell. We know the scriptures. It tells us there's none good but God. And comparatively speaking to God, that is absolutely true. That's true. But considering people who may help those in need, those that are courteous, those that are kind and thoughtful, there are good people, you know. Jehovah's Witnesses are normally some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. But they're going to be in hell. Why is that? Because they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus is Lucifer's brother and that God had a baby with something out there and had Lucifer and Jesus. They're going to be in hell. Because they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that he is Lord. They've not confessed him as Lord. They're going to be in hell. Some of the nicest people. I played basketball with them at the YMCA back in Calhoun County. Listen, they were nice guys. But I spoke truth to them. Never wished them well on their way. The Bible says not to. But I was just, and I'm telling you, they were nice fellas. But they've got a false doctrine that they're teaching. But they're friendly and good, courteous. Respect, respected everybody. Lots of good people go to hell. You know, you may even consider yourself a good person. But that's not going to get you there. I'll tell you the second good thing in hell. There's good vision in hell. When you, when you read this passage of Scripture, verse 23, And being in the torments of Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I praise God that I'm going to be in heaven and my eyes are going to be completely healed. I ain't going to have to wear contacts because if I was in hell, boy, I don't want good vision there. I don't want good vision there, but there's going to be good vision. If he prayed this same prayer in heaven, it's very likely he would not have been in hell. He, I mean, when we think about that, he, he looks up and he prays this prayer and he says to him, he says, look, please send him. He looks up and he, and he prays and asks him to do these things for him. You know, so there's, I'm sorry, there's, man, there's just so many things that we think, that many people think, I can just bypass Jesus. I can bypass Jesus and I can get to heaven. I can bypass his church and get to heaven. I can, baptize, I can bypass salvation. I can, I can bypass baptism. I can, I can bypass everything and still get to heaven. No, you, you can't. You cannot get around Jesus. Jesus says in many different places, I am the door, I am the gate, 
I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. There's not going to be any bypassing Jesus for anybody. So when this rich man is looking across through there, he still hasn't looked to Jesus. But one day he will. One day he will. You know, not, you know, not all these aren't good. I mean, if you think about it, all these aren't good, although they are good. Right? I'm going to talk about good vision in hell, good prayers in hell, good memory in hell. All these aren't good, although they are good. Everything that is good is not, in essence, good. His vision is so good, he could see what he was missing. That's not good for him, is it? He's able to see what he's missing. There's good prayers in hell. Luke 16, 24. Father Abraham, he cried out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. People ask, do you really believe there's fire and flame and hell? Yes, I do. Jesus says there is. Jesus says there is. I want you to know there's good memory in hell. Aren't there some things you wish you could forget? Yeah. You'll never forget these gospel encounters. For those that are in hell, they'll never forget them. You'll always have consciousness, awareness, and memory in heaven and hell. And for there's good memory in hell. Because Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is covered in here while you are in agony. You remember that? You're going to have good memory in hell. Every time you sat in this pew... Every time you sat in your Sunday school class and you had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond in, in humility and in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you rebuked and you refused the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to remember that in hell. If you join us online, you're going to remember that in hell. You're going to have good memory in hell. You're going to have it. You know, I'm, I always think about my memory. I think about things kind of memory, and I've, I've told this story before. I can't remember if I've said it from the pulpit, but I know I've said it on Wednesday night and possibly even in Sunday school. But when I was young, my dad took me to basketball practice, and we went to this place called the Vineyard where they had a gym, and we'd go practice. And every time we went, he would have Amy Grant, the collection, playing on the radio. And every time we'd go, and I was always anxious. Man, I was nervous. It was the first time I'd ever played organized sports. And man, my stomach was just butterflies. It twisted and turned, and I was always anxious. And then, I mean, and, and every time we went, I mean, like, Dad, could you play somebody else? I mean, like Stephen Curtis Chapman, DC Talk, somebody else, somebody. Come on, Dad. But anyway, he played Amy Grant every time. So for years after that, I'm telling you, every time I heard an Amy Grant song, my stomach just went into knots. Because it was conditioned and it was in my memory. People are going to be in hell and they're going to hear a word. They're going to think about something. They're going to go, their stomach's going to knot up and their memory's going to go, why didn't I surrender to Christ? There's good memory in hell. You remember so much from your life. You remember things by association. You're taken back sometimes by, by the scent of things, by the sound of things, by specific words or a voice that you hear. You'll be here in Romans 10, 9, and 10 for all the days of your life if you've sat in these sermons with me. 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised us up from the dead, you shall be saved. You're going to be hearing that for all eternity. You will not be absent from those memories. You will not be absent from those memories. There's good theology in hell. There's good theology in hell. As you, as you read this about the rich man, he realized that God exists. He looks across through there and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He knew that there was mercy that existed for him. He says, uh, he, he calls out to him and asks for that mercy. He says, he knows that there's uh, evangelism. Send that, send, send that poor man to my brothers. He, he knows there's evangelism. Evangelism should work. There's, mercy, there's the mercy of God. There's evangelism. There's good theology in hell. Philippians 2.11, it says, Everyone under the earth will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They, they know everyone in hell believes the Bible. Everyone in hell believes the Bible. You know, the only time some of you believe in hell is when you know someone deserved it. Someone other than you. It makes sense. But it's because you think that only people worse than you go there. There's good priorities in hell. The rich man believed in evangelism. As I just said, theology believed in evangelism. Send someone to tell my family about Jesus in this place. He said, I got five brothers. Send them. Let them know. Please. I don't want them to be here with me. Man, he wanted his family to know. He wanted his family to know. There's good intentions in hell. One can reject Christ without right rebellion, but that's not the norm. The most common rejection is the denial of Jesus Christ through apathy, indifference, procrastination. It's, 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 that's how people reject Christ. I'll put it off. I'll do it another day. I got enough time. You don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. Listen, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I intend to do this. I intend to give my life to Jesus when I get my life together. I intend to give my life to Jesus when this happens or when that happens. Well, you keep intending until the time you die and then you ain't going to get there. Good intentions don't get you to heaven, but there are good intentions in hell. So what do you have to do to not go to hell? I've said it multiple times during this sermon. Multiple times, you call upon Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you live by faith. In Sunday school, one of the lines, it says, it says, uh, they keep my words. Those who love me keep my words. And those who do not love me, they do not keep my words. Are you going to keep the words of Christ? Are you going to keep his word? Are you going to live by, by faith? And follow after him. Listen, I, I want to share with you from John 14, 1 through 7. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am there, you may be also, you know the way to where I am going. Now, Jesus is in heaven, and he's preparing a place for you. 
He's not in hell because he didn't prepare that place for you. He is preparing a place for you. Do you want to go? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then we've got one of the verses that I love to quote. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Today, confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart God raised his son from the dead and you shall be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness. It is with the tongue one confesses unto salvation. Today can be your day of salvation. Today can be the day when you have a divine disruption to your path to hell. Today can be that day. But you must submit and surrender to Jesus Christ. You must call upon him as Lord. And believe in your heart God raised us up from the dead. You can be saved. Your pathway may be changed. And I hope and pray today that that happens for you. As Donald comes and we have our time of invitation, listen, don't put it off. Don't put it off. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you so much. God the Father loves you so much. John three sixteen. For God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody who believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Today you can move on from one of the two destinations, that destination of hell, and you can move on to that destination of heaven. I pray that you will repent and believe the gospel.